Do you have an unexpected story to tell or know someone who does? We'd love to have you on the pod. Please apply at please don't tell anyone pod at gmail.com or follow our application link in bio of our Instagram, please don't tell anyone pod or TikTok account. But the person that I was prior to like this kind of downside of shit, mm-hmm. I'll never have that person back. Hey, and thanks for coming back to Please Don't Tell Anyone. I'm Molly Clark, your host, and this is the podcast where you hear unexpected stories by ordinary people. I go and blind to all my interviews so that I can hear the story firsthand, just like you. Please don't tell anyone. I said, please don't tell anyone. Don't tell I said, please tell. don't tell anyone. Please don't tell anyone. Don't tell I said, don't please don't tell anyone. I said, please don't tell anyone. Don't tell again, I was a victim of military sexual assault while stationed in South Korea and felt like I couldn't report it and it ruined my career. I want to talk about the amount of times it happens and how much it goes underreported, although they pretend to encourage people to come forward. The fear of reprisal and the fear of simply not being able to prove it is too great for some to report. It needs to stop and I'd like to share my perspective. Thank you for coming on to share your perspective, Thanks. your story. As I'm sure you've heard me say, you know, I just want you to start wherever feels natural and I'll jump in and ask questions that I feel like as a listener people will have. But otherwise, why don't you just take us to the beginning where did did you join the military? Yes. So okay. um, I was in college at first. Um, I went in, tried to do the whole song and dance of like going to school like you're supposed to at 18. And I literally played around the entire time. I did nothing that I was supposed to. I barely went to class. I was losing my scholarship. And so I have immigrant parents who I knew if I told them I was losing my scholarship, they would be like, you got to go. So the day I found out my scholarship was going, I went to a recruiter and I stepped in in secret. I like got in, signed paperwork and I went to MEPS like on a weekend randomly when my parents were like doing something. I told them I was sleeping at a friend's house, went to MEPS, What's came MEPS? back. I just uh, don't know. Oh, it's like when you go to like medical evaluation oh, okay. right before they say, yeah, you can come in. You have to like go through this evaluation and that's where you take the ASVAB test. And so I did all that in secret. And then they, I told them when I had a date that I was leaving. Um, wow. So I joined April and I left November. What year? Of 2014. Okay. Did you want to join the military growing up? Like, was this something that you dreamed of or was it really like a, holy shit, I'm about to lose my scholarship? <laughs> it was It was a holy shit moment. Uh, I had never even thought about the military. I was like the prissiest little thing. And I was a ballet dancer and that's what I was an artsy kid. And I never even thought it wasn't until I met people that were in the Air Force. When I was in college, I was dating a guy that was in the Air Force and his life looked so much easier. <laughs> it looked like it was so put together. And I was like, I could do this. And once I did eventually do it and get in, I was like, it's not that big of a deal. It's just work, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, once you go through basic, I, the first day of basic, I was definitely like, what the hell did I do with my life? But as you get used to it, it kind of just becomes normal. And then once you come out and you actually get into your job, you go to work every day and you come home. And Yeah. You didn't join it thinking like, I'm doing this and I may die and I'm defending my country. You know how some no. people join yeah. with that. Intent. And I, I, you know, I get people, 
you the funny thing is the most people that you run into don't join for that reason hmm. most people that you do run into are like i needed money for college or i was getting kicked out i, I was homeless like hmm. you know and so that was very funny to see that most people was wasn't really patriotic ideals behind it it was just like i didn't know what i was doing so yeah. i needed to do something where um what state did you grow up in so i'm from new jersey okay yeah so you went from new jersey to south korea yeah, so I actually went from New Jersey to Utah first. I spent a year in Utah, which was awesome. And then I got orders about eight months in in Utah to South Korea. What branch? Oh, so I was in the Air Force. Okay. Yeah, so to Osan Air Force Base in South Korea, which is everybody talks about. It's the party station. <laughs> you know, it's a year there that you're there and you, you, you do a lot of really, you do a lot of work and it's yeah. a lot of hard work. It's fast paced, but there's a lot of play and That's nobody so funny. goes. I never would have guessed that. Yeah. Nobody goes with their family. Um, for the most part, you can bring families when you're higher ranking, but generally everybody's there, just them. And we all live in the dorms and like top down. And it's like right outside the gate of the base is like bars and gallivanting and all this stuff. There's like a street called the said, the Songtong Entertainment District and you just like go down and there's like parties and everything. So drinking excessively and all that is kind of ingrained in the culture as much as they try not to make it. It, yeah. it is. What was your job? Like what were you going over there to do just as someone who's ignorant to why so, we'd be in South Korea? Um, so I mean, they, I know I would be in South Korea. That sounds yeah. really ignorant. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> so um, I was uh, in munition systems. So essentially the bomb builders that was basically that's the kind of the meat and potatoes of the jobs you get the components of the bombs you put them together and the service missiles and things like that i was working in operations so more of the administrative and inventory side but yeah essentially we're out there because we have multiple bases out there that are just there all the time got it so that's just kind of we did regular day-to-day -day work we did a couple exercises quarterly where you like you play war Mm -hmm. essentially but for the most part yeah you just do work and how old were you 20 so when I got there I was 22 okay yeah I had just turned 22 like right before I left how did your parents end up reacting um my dad didn't really like see it as a big deal my brother was a marine like a long 2001 time frame and my dad didn't see it as a big deal my mom acted like I was joining the circus she lost it. <laughs> she was so pissed. Um, but she came around to it eventually. Uh, they threw me a really great going away party. And so they eventually were proud, but she was pissed at first because she wanted me to go to school and wow. she wanted me to finish. But I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I didn't tell her I was failing school. I like dropped out before even the grades came out. I was like, do they know at this point that that's why you joined? Um, I would say probably. We just never talk about it because yeah. it never came up. I ended up finishing my degree, so it never really came up. But I'm pretty sure it had to because I was I was fooling around for the most part. And it was very obvious I wasn't doing what I was supposed to. So Okay, so you get to Korea. Yes. How do we get to this assault? So when I first got there, um, when you first get there, the first two weeks, you're not allowed to drink. 
Um, and they think they do that on purpose because if you've never had like soju before, or you've never been in a place where people are drinking excessively, soju gets you very drunk. <laughs> like I've never had it. you're not used to it. And it's, I think it's like unregulated, the ABV or whatever. So, and it doesn't taste like anything and they put it in like juice and you'll chuck it down and you don't even realize. So uh, the first two weeks I was pretty quiet. I didn't really do anything. You also had a 10 o'clock curfew, whereas everybody else has, I think midnight is what it was. I don't know if they have it still, but it was midnight at the time. And so I didn't really have any friends. I didn't really go out and do anything. Then once I started going out, I started meeting people and um, I kind of found my my little trio that I was in and we used to go out and we partied and I wasn't really a promiscuous person. It wasn't really a thing that I, that I did or liked to do. I always had boyfriends, but I kind of like lost my mind a little bit (laughs) when I started drinking and like you know, at the same time, like Monday through Friday, when I was at work, I was at work and I was stellar. I did my work the best that I could. I was airman of the year. I was winning awards. I was doing all these things. But then like on the weekends, I let loose and I had a great time. And there's nothing wrong with that. So it was, it was a great balance, especially for being 22, you know, sorry, I still live on the Air Force Base. I'm I just retired a couple weeks ago, but I'm moving, but I still live here, so you'll hear planes. That's okay. I live right across the street from a hospital in New York, so you're going to hear sirens. We'll just sound like we're in a war. So the sound effects. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, but when me and my trio would go out, we would, you know, kind of grab people in and make friends with people and what have you. And we met another group of people who we regularly see out that seems quite fun. And so we would just see them and drink and have parties and whatever. And these people were in the Air Force too? Yes, they were other okay. people. They weren't were just like locals? No, no, no. They were just in other jobs that we never really came across them until we would go out. Um, so it was a group and one of them was a guy. So we're going to change his name and we're going to call him Jeff because I don't know any Jeffs. So we're just going to say Jeff. So... Um, when I met Jeff and his friends, they were so fun dancing all night and were down for anything, always wanted to hang out. So we kind of clicked instantly and he and I specifically clicked. He, and I, I hate that this is like what I thought, but he had more of like, a what we would call like a feminine personality mm-hmm. um, and just a presentation, which I think that's a gross way to say it, but I can't really think Did of another way Did you think he was gay? I thought he was gay. Yeah, that's fine. So when I first came out... As I a gay first, person, I'll just... Yeah, as, as, a, as a fellow. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, okay. so I thought he was gay off right. Yeah. So I was like, cool, we're chilling, we're having a great time. So I never really looked at him in any of a romantic sense because I didn't Mm -hmm. think he looked at me in a romantic sense. I thought he was a friend. You're a gay friend. Yeah. So we were hanging out almost every weekend and I had a room that was closest to the gate. Um, So we would pregame in my room and we, after curfew, we would kind of go back to my room and spend, because you had to be back at midnight. So we'd spend the rest of the drinking time in my room. So Everybody had the code to my door. Everybody would come in and out and just we would hang out and it was a great time. I had a man that I was seeing at the time who treated me like absolute garbage. He treated me like crap. 
but I was infatuated with him. He was older and attractive and whatever. And I just let him do whatever foolishness he wanted to. But so I would hear, you know, people talk about how Jeff would see me interacting with this man and then would like talk to my friends and say like, oh, I just like wish she would give me a chance. I really like her. I really like would love to be with her and blah, 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 whatever. And I was like, what? Like, I never thought anything of it. We never really addressed it. He never said anything to me. So I kind of let it go. And I was like, I don't know. I think he's gay, but okay. So there was one night that we went out, my best friend, who's still my best friend to this day, she and the guy that she was seeing and me and Jeff, we all went out to the bar and Jeff and the guy that my friend was seeing like went off into the smoke pit to talk. And the guy my friend was seeing came out to talk to me after and was like, you need to give him a chance. He really likes you. He's really into you. You never know. And again, I'm, I'm not attracted to this person in yeah. any way, shape or form, but the alcohol was flowing real good. So he was like, you need to give him a chance. And I was like, well, I'd, okay. So that night he ended up we were dancing and he like grabbed me and he kissed me and it felt weird at off. Uh, but again, I wasn't making a big deal out of it. We went back to my friend's boyfriend's apartment mm -hmm. and Jeff and I had sex that night. Um, I hated it. I hated every moment of it. And I was like, but I was a willing participant at that time. I let it happen. And I, during the time I was just like, this is terrible. I don't want to do this. But whatever, after it was over, the next day I woke up and I looked at him and I told him and I was like, that cannot happen again. It will not happen again. And he seems quite understanding. I was like, I was very drunk. I'm very sorry. I will not be taking this any further than this moment. He seemed to understand and we moved on. We didn't really see each other much, but we moved on. So I'll say it was about maybe a month later I was out with my friends. We pre-gamed in my room and I got wasted. I was out of my mind and we went out into the set at like nine o'clock and we didn't make it that far. We made it to the McDonald's at the front where I was throwing up by then. And my friend was like, you can't go out. You have to go back. And I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And she was like, no, you have to go back. So they started taking me back to the to the gate we made it through the gate and that's when i kind of started to black out so i walked through the gate i remember walking through the gate i remember getting to like the taxi line at the front of the gate that will like take you throughout the base they have taxis i remember getting there and then i remember going into my room going up the stairs and going into my room and my friend came with me and she was i was throwing up and she was just like trying to get me together. I, I got in the shower and then I got in my pajamas and I got in my bed and that's, and she got into my bed with me and laid next to me and I fell asleep. And that's the memory I have of that part. So from when she and I spoke the next day, from what she said was her boyfriend thing called her and wanted to see her. And so she was afraid that I would throw up on or get sick or die. I don't know, you know, whatever. 
Totally. I, was, I was that out of my mind. So she was yeah. afraid and she wanted somebody with me. So she called a couple of people and nobody was really answering, but the person who picked up was Jeff. So she, sorry, I'm, I'm well. That's okay. so, so she, um, she called him and she was asked if he would come and sit with me um, just to make sure that I was okay. And so he said, yeah, sure. For like, whatever. And I had a, a living room, a kitchen and a, my bedroom and then my bathroom was in that room which is why people used to come hang out because I had everything in my room. So he came and she said, from what she remembered, he laid down on the couch. Like people would sleep over my room all the time and nobody ever slept in my bed with me. Like my, my like girlfriends would like lay in my bed, but he never ever came into my bed before. So he went on the couch and he laid down and took a blanket and he's like, I'll be fine. Like, she's fine. I'll make sure she's okay. And she left. So it's, again, it's choppy from what I can like recall, but I do have a memory of being touched. I do have a memory of like some things happening. And then I know that somebody, we had pre-gamed in my room and my friend left liquor in my freezer and she had opened the door to come get her liquor. And I heard her say, oh, and she walked out. And then I have me telling the person to get off me. And then I woke up the next morning. And when I woke up the next morning, I was like facing the wall and I was under my blanket and I like was obviously like, what the fuck in my mind? And I like know that my pants were off. And I remember I, I didn't go to bed like this. I went to bed with clothes on. And I had no pants on, no underwears on. And I was like, and I knew somebody was next to me, but I expected it to be my friend. And I just knew it was her. And I rolled over and I saw him. And I laid there and I was like, like, okay. So then he woke up and he was normal. He was so normal. He even like hung out for a little bit and like ordered food for me to the room. And we were just sitting there hanging out for a little while. And then he left. And then I called my friend that was supposed to be with me. And I was like, when did Jeff come in here? When did he, when was this? And she was like, oh, I called him to come watch you because I had to go do whatever. And then I asked her if she could come to my room. And I was like, I need to talk to you. And I was just explaining to her, I was like, I woke up and I didn't have pants on and he was in my bed. And she's like, that's not where I left him. I left him and he was on the couch. And she's like, and I was like, and I also have, you know, these pieces of memory, but I'm not entirely sure what is fact. And she was instantly upset and she instantly felt so bad. She felt like she put me in, she's like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what, like, she's like, I don't know what we're supposed to do. She's like, do you want to report it? And I was like, I don't know what I'm reporting. And I was like, the only thing that I could think of right now is to, to call him and ask him. And I'm like, would he even tell me, but I'm, I'm going to go out on the limb and, and attempt to call. So I called him and I told him to come back. 
And I was like, we need to talk. And I asked what, what happened essentially. And his retelling of it is that I was touching him and that I was like, I guess, asking for something to happen. And so he obliged <laughs> and I, I, I tried to make it clear that I, I was like, I was, I, I, I was out, I was out, I was passed out. There was no way that I even was an attractive participant in this moment. There's no way I, so, so when I was asking him and he was telling me what was happening, I was just mad. I was infuriated. And I was like, do you, did you, did you understand that? Like, that's not, even if I was participating, I was too drunk to even give any sort of consent in that moment. And he kind of sat there silent and didn't really say anything. And I was like, so what am I supposed to do with this now? What do I do about this? And he was like, well, you can do whatever you feel like you need to do. But he's like, you were touching me. And that meant that. And he said, once I said to get off, he got off of me. As the story. I told him, I was like, I could report this. And I have a really good story. I have a really good case. And I was like, I could destroy you. And then my thought process is he has children and their lives would be ruined. And I was drunk and who would listen? And I've slept with him before, regardless of whether or not I wanted it to happen. I did it before. So again, who would listen? Who would believe me? And so I told him, I don't know what I'm going to do. And we never spoke again after that. That was the last time we talked. To this day? Yeah. Oh, my God. And that was almost that was, 10 years ago? It was 2016. So, yeah, it's a while ago. Eight years? Yeah, eight years ago-ish. Yeah. Oh. Did you ever speak to the friend who came in in the middle of the night that you had heard the voice of? I asked her uh, that day what she saw. And she said she thought that we were just, you know, sleeping together. And she was like, I walked in on something and she walked out. She's like, I didn't really see. I don't even know if she'd really tell me if she saw what I looked like or what it looked like. I don't know if she'd tell me. It was dark, so I'm going to give her that. And she was going through her own stuff. So I don't even know if she, I don't even put much like blame on truly anybody besides him. How can he justify even being in the room with you? Like he was, he was left on the couch and I understand checking on someone, but like, how does he (sighs) The way that I see it is he felt such an infatuation with me and I told him it wasn't going to happen again and he took whatever opportunity he could get because he didn't think it would happen again. And 
that sounds pathetic. Truthfully, that's the only way that I can explain it is it sounds pathetic. Did you um, think to go to the hospital the next day or did that not go like to get a rape kit or anything? No, because truthfully, I never looked at this truthfully as like assault until many years later. I like to, it's like kind of, uh, I guess like a, a fucked up thing that I do in my head to like accept when things happen to me and I don't receive closure that I like try to find my, my place to hold myself accountable because, you know, nobody likes to believe that bad things just happen to you sometimes, you know, nobody likes that. That That sounds like a, yeah, that doesn't sound fucked up. It sounds like a protective, like survival mechanism that you, yeah, it's like, you don't served you. You don't want to tell a certain point. Yeah. You don't want to be like, Oh, people are just bad. You know, what did I do to put me here? What did I do that made this happen so that, you know, I don't have to just be like, I deserve an apology or I deserve something from this. And so I told myself you were really drunk. You sh- Even though I made the choices that anybody in that position, what you would tell them to do, go home, get in your bed, make sure you're safe. Get somebody to watch over you if you can. I did those things. I did those things that they tell you to do. And it didn't matter. So, but if I think about it that way, then it's really uncomfortable. Do you know sitting here today in June 2023 that it was not your fault and that you did nothing wrong? Yes and no. I'll say yes enough, like enough for me to like not be completely damaged by this. I think it kind of like spiraled into like the way that I've like the bad relationships I've had after that. Mm -hmm. This situation kind of spiraled into it. And I think as I'm a mother now, and I think to look at my, if, if God forbid my child was in that position, I would easily be able to be like, you didn't deserve that. You didn't deserve that. But there's still part of me that is like, well, then just accepting that people are just shitty is just, it's kind of hard. By the way, if I ask you anything that you don't want to answer that makes you uncomfortable moving forward, just like set your boundaries. I'm open book here. Okay. I think this is important. Um, It's so important. And I think you hit the nail on the head in your submission saying that this happens more than people know and more than people discuss. Yeah. And I'm sure it happens a lot in the military, but this also happens a lot everywhere. I can think of even in college friends who, you know, have similar narratives. And so you said that you didn't see it as an assault right away. Yeah. And then it took you many years to kind of realize that. I mean, First of all, this guy you were around a lot leading up to this point, like he was in your friend group. How did how did the aftermath of this go from that to never never did you see him again? Did you Yeah. I I saw him all the time. I saw him all the time. But my friend and so my two that were in like my trio, they knew. And so we just cut ourselves off and kind of went our separate ways. Because the one friend that was with me that night that kind of brought him in, she, 
I think to this day, she still beats herself up about it. Yeah, I mean, as I heard the beginning of it, of course, again, she did nothing wrong. But did you struggle with that friendship at all because of this? Or did that not affect? I I didn't because okay. that her specifically, she and this is now, thankfully, we've been so close for years now. She cherishes me. And I know that. Mm-hmm. And I know she wouldn't have put me in a position that she thought I would be hurt. No, never. Ever. And so maybe it was like a day that I was a little like, mm, but I had to like really, really evaluate. And she and I sat down and talked about it in depth that day. And she's like, I don't know how to explain to you how sorry I am. And I took it immediately because, again, yeah, she's my- proven to me then and up to then and beyond that she would have never done something to put me in a bad position or she would have changed it if she could. Yeah. I mean, she was trying to keep you safe. And then I have to think like, would I have left for a boy that I liked? Yeah. At 22. Hell yeah. I would have left. I'd have been like, Hey girl, gotta gotta go. You know, (laughs) the guy's calling. I gotta go. I would have put her with somebody that I thought would keep her safe and I'd keep pushing. So that's another part that really helped me not, blame her at all because I'm like I would have done the same thing so then you guys keep seeing him but he never approaches you what about his friend that was so pushy about him being with you wasn't the friend dating your friend yeah so they weren't really friends they just knew each other that they like met that night so they never really saw each other again truthfully um Mm -hmm. but we just never nobody ever addressed it nobody ever talked about it we just Nobody ever really asked why we didn't hang out with them anymore. And which was now that you say it's like very strange because we did everything with those two groups of people, like my group and their group, we did everything with them. And then it just abruptly stopped. How long did you stay then in South Korea in the role that like living the same life that you had been living since that happened? I think I had because you're only there a year. So I think I had maybe about another six months. And like a whole bunch of other drama stuff happened. So it's kind of easy to kind of move on and ignore yeah. that. So there, there's two paths that I want to go from here. I want to address the how you feel that it ruined your career and kind of talk about on the military side of things. But mm-hmm. then also I want to understand how it affected you in relationships. Yeah. And what you were saying. So whichever path you want to take. So first, those are just the two things I'm thinking of. <laughs> Career-wise, it didn't really have an effect on my career until I be until I became a mom. I became a mom in 2019. My daughter's four now. She's awesome. Congratulations! Thank you. <laughs> She's super awesome. Um, actually, the relationships in the career-wise affecting kind of mold together. Go ahead and hand. Yeah. Um, the situation with my daughter and how my daughter came to be was a messy, very messy situation. And I've been a single mom since the day I found out. And I had her and I came back to work and I spiraled into a really bad postpartum depression. My mom had really bad postpartum with me. And it is, it's violent and it's, but what, what happened is that like my, my only concern was her and the preservation of her. And I let myself completely disappear for almost for the better part of a year that I was spiraling 
without where any were assistance. you stationed at this point where were you living i was in england when i had okay. her so you didn't have family around you you didn't no i had oh. a couple of friends that were like really close to me but they kind of dropped me when i got pregnant we got back to being friends again but they kind of dropped me i was kind of i was in a heartbreak i was in i'm gonna be a mom and i have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> and it's a whole bunch of I had some complications with my pregnancy, so I was not fun to be around. Did you think about leaving the military at that time, or did you have, like, to be able to be home or to be in, like, a just I, an environment that you felt better, or did I, you have to stay? I felt an obligation to stay. Okay. Um, I could have left after I had my daughter. Hmm. Um, you have a year to decide if you want to go, um, but I felt an obligation because how was I going to pay for her? Because her father wasn't gonna, so. And I couldn't really go after him because of our situation. Um, it was kind of against the military rules, so. And... Did somebody DNA test your daughter to be like? No, they can't. That's why I was able to just shut my mouth. I shouldn't have. Hindsight being twenty twenty, I should not have, but I did shut my mouth to... I loved him, so I protected him, and I protected myself, and it's stupid. Are but... you still protecting him? Yes, and no. Yes, I am. But for your daughter, <laughs> I mean, I get the sense that it's for your daughter. Like, if you didn't yeah. have your daughter, maybe you wouldn't be as... At this point, mm, I don't need him. I think. <laughs> you know? At this point, I feel like I don't need him, but... She does. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is he in her life at all? No, they met twice. We lived about 10 minutes down the street for about a year. And he saw her twice. Once when she first came out of the hospital and then once right before we left. And he's been very unkind in the following. So I leave the door open. I did not cut him off. I left it to him. He cut me off. I didn't ask for money. I didn't ask for anything. He just doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. I don't get it. It's so fucked up. Yeah, it's ugly. And to be a father himself, not obviously, but like to other mm -hmm. children and mm -hmm. to just be able to stomach himself in this way, it's weird. I don't, it can't make weird. sense out of nonsense, you know? No. Okay, but, but at this time you're in England and you're having postpartum. Yes. So I started to spiral started to basically lose myself and I kind of like looked at my my position in the military and I couldn't see how any of it mattered yeah we would go we have sapper which is sexual assault response training we have it annually you have to go through it and you learn about like suicide prevention and you learn about sexual assault and it's essentially death by powerpoint it's mm -hmm. very stupid it doesn't they tell you how to report things and you won't get any reprisal if you report and you watch the same stupid 1980s-esque videos and that's essentially it. But, and same thing with suicide prevention, but if you obviously know the statistics of the military, that's not really effective. And I would sit through those trainings and I'm looking at them and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> literally, what the fuck is this? And then looking at them act like the world is ending because of work that is stupid, training missions, training ops that are stupid, 
I want to say this. I'm not anti-military, nor do I hate the Air Force. The Air Force gave me a lot. It, it gave me a lot of things. It kind of springboarded so that it, it gave me a career. I, I became an adult in the Air Force, took care of me and my daughter. But at the same time, the people are so ingrained in that, you know, in that culture, they just, they kind of forget that they're people mm-hmm. outside of this. And I, when I became a mom, I, I really got back my humanity. And I think I really started to look at it and look at the uniform and I felt no pride. I felt like I, all the things that were given to me, more was taken from me. My mental health was in the pits and nobody was looking at me. Nobody asked me if I was okay. I was getting in trouble because I wasn't sleeping at night. I wasn't, I was just up trying to keep my baby safe and I couldn't even go to sleep without like staring at her. Like I would just watch her breathe just to make sure she was okay. And I was drowning and I was regularly asking for help and nobody was helping. How would you regularly ask for help? Even if it's just like going from being a like terribly, up from being like a stellar airman to being a piece of shit. That should have been, that's like the first clue. That's what they teach you. If your airman has like a huge shift in their behavior or their work ethic or anything, you should be looking out for that immediately. Mm-hmm. I was in therapy. I was on antidepressants. I was telling my boss that I was miserable. <laughs> like I, I, yeah, I, I didn't, literally I was literally help. saying I'm miserable. I literally hate this. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's what's going to make me better, what's going to make me care about this, but I could give a shit less about anything that's happening here, essentially. Was your therapist through the military? Yes. I mean, she's all right, but (laughs) I was the antidepressants. No, but it's all within that world. It's all we're staying in the bubble. Yeah. And so I re-enlisted like that September of 2020. I was like, I'm going to try again. I'm going to give it one more try. Um, Were you in England at this point? Yeah, I was still in England, but I had gotten orders to come to Virginia, which is where I am now. Mm -hmm. And my family lives in Virginia now. So I was like, I'm going to give it one more try. I'm going to really make an effort here and really try to reinvent myself when I got here. And once I got here, I think it was like a month and a half that I was here. And I was like, no, (laughs) this isn't it. I can't do this. I... I was struggling with my daughter and struggling with my mental health and struggling with trying to be a good parent and trying to be a good airman and something had to give and the Air Force was what gave. I I couldn't do it. I couldn't make it matter. I couldn't make it count. I couldn't make the work important to me. And my airman, I was a supervisor because I had promoted at this point. I was a staff sergeant and I had airmen underneath me and I they would come to me and be like, oh, you know, try to ask for like help on how to make them care about the Air Force more. And I couldn't even tell them myself. And I was like, I'm, I'm not, a, I was like, I'm not a good role model here. Because <laughs> I was like, they're asking me like, why, why am I doing this? Why is this important? And I was like, honestly, I don't fucking know. Because <laughs> I think it's stupid. And does that bring us to your retirement then? Yeah, I was in therapy and I, first I reported my assault that was the first move 
Yeah, that's where there's I'm I'm missing something in the timeline here. Of, yeah, as we were talking about wh- when you realized it was an assault and you were watching the death by PowerPoint. Yeah, and so I reported it when I got here. Okay. Um, you have two options: it's an unrestricted report that prompts an investigation, or a restricted report that doesn't. But you kind of just have it on the books. I restricted report it, reported it, but um, they have a, the database in the catch program where you can put the person's name in there. So if they are to offend again, their name will pop up. Um, and so I did report it. And then that kind of gave me additional therapy to go through. And they were trying to make me want to stay in the military. And I was like, nope, I'm miserable. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't feel anything for this. But I had been within mental health for so long and everything that it actually prompted for me to get put against a medical board. So I was medically retired. Wow. So I guess everything was just all the diagnoses and the PTSD and the binge eating that I had and all that all encompassed was enough for me to be retired. Why did you... The, the one part I still feel like I'm missing at listening to this is when and why did you decide to report it when you did? Um, so I was in therapy and I felt like something I was I was leaving that out a lot. Mm. I wasn't talking about it because you had all this other stuff going on that would have led to. Yeah, anyone having a breakdown, but yeah. there is this huge trauma that happened that had kind of been just shut out. Yeah, and so, so I had been assaulted once before this. This is before I came in the military, and the person that did it, uh, maybe like six months ago. So I was nineteen when that happened. Maybe about six months ago, they called me and apologized. Whoa! And it was shocking, to say the least. But they, I don't know, they had a kid and had a come to Jesus moment and was like, I need to right my wrongs and called me. And one of the most genuine, sincere, do I, am I like, oh yeah, it's okay. Absolutely not. But I felt it Mm -hmm. and it felt real. And so they apologized to me. And of the people that I can say, like those three people, so my daughter's father, this person, Jeff, and the person who apologized to me, of those three people, he's the only person that I have closure from. And I'm not going to get closure from the other two. I don't think I'll ever get closure from the other two. And I, my daughter's father, I want to leave that up to her to handle that. Um, I, I, I do what I can to make sure that she knows I'm still fighting for that to be, you know, for that situation to be rectified and for her to get what she needs. But as for Jeff, he's moved on, he's married and he's living a lovely little life. And have you thought about contacting him or contacting his wife? I don't think I'll have to. He's very proud. He's very active on TikTok. So he may see this. Wow. And I, that leads me to kind of my big question as I'm sitting here. Why aren't we saying his name? I don't think we need to say his name because that's not – it draws the wrong attention in a lot of ways to things. Yeah. Um, but I am curious, like, what made you want to keep him anonymous? I don't think he – I don't think what he did 
mm-hmm. was in his mind malicious. I don't think that he is a repeat offender. I don't think that he is. But you know, it only takes once to you know to to mm-hmm. be labeled as that. But I don't think he even still to this day believes that he had any malicious intent behind it. I think he genuinely really liked me and I wasn't budging. And I think if I, if I really wanted to get justice or whatever, me saying his name here isn't where I'd go. Yeah. Me saying his name to the military is where I would go. Yeah. And so I feel like if I said it here, it would just be me and be like, it feel like me being messy at this point. Mm-hmm. No, and, I, I, I'm with you. I, I agree with it. I yeah. just was curious, you know, and it's, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take or add those who knew me then will know mm-hmm. and they'll know immediately. And I'm okay with them knowing the only people that I've actually told this story are therapists and my two friends. Mm-hmm. Like maybe yeah, maybe two or three friends that we've like had serious conversations, but I'm it's not necessary. Do you want to hear from him? Do you want an apology? Mm. Like is there something you need around it? No. An apology is not necessary. I because I don't even know if he'll be sorry for real. Especially if he like Damn. hears this, I don't You're even know. Really right. Especially if he doesn't even know that he did anything wrong, and we made it this many years. You have children. You're married. You have a daughter. You don't. There's a reason he stopped talking to you. I mean, there's a reason that he didn't like follow up the next day. Like, hey, want to go get a drink? Like, yeah. he knows he did something wrong. So what's funny, actually, is other than he's like commented on things on my Facebook, and. So I really don't know if he's truthfully understands the gravity of what occurred. I don't think he, I really don't think he, which is so stupid. He's older than me and Mm -hmm. I'm 29 now. Mm -hmm. And so part of me really just doesn't think he understands. And I, I don't think he'll ever truthfully understand. Um, Can you speak to for a second, one, if there's um, women listening who are in the military and have or have gone some or even not in the military, like looking back, is is there something that like you would say to that time period of yourself or wish that you had done differently? I mean, um, I know it's kind of impossible because when you're yeah. in that, you're just trying to survive and you don't have to answer that question. No, no, no. That's I'm literally open open too open sometimes but um i think if you have a strong case do your best do your best to report it it's that's easier said than done obviously and it's who knows how it's going to be taken and but i know that there's a lot of there's a lot of talk around People being like, oh, women just report so that they can get out of the base. You can get a humanitarian move mm-hmm. from a base if you report an assault. You can, they just do that so that they can get out of here. They just do that so they can, 
and that's noise. People do it, I'm sure, but it's noise in comparison to letting yourself drown and sit with it is detrimental. It ruined a lot of things about me. I was sitting thinking about it yesterday and I was like, I I was fun as shit. I used to be fun as hell. I used to be a real cool person to be around. I used to be real fun, like bubbly and jubilant. And you know, that person exists sometimes, but the person that I was prior to like this kind of downside of shit, Mm -hmm. I'll never have that person back. I'll never have even a, 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 a glimpse of that person back. That person died a long time ago. And had I tried to rectify a situation for myself, open my mouth and said something to somebody at the time, maybe pieces of that person would have gotten to be an adult. And so the version of me is was born out of survival. And that was really it. Is there something that you feel like the military can do that they're not doing? Um, they really need to revamp that training. The training. <laughs> they need better they videos. Really, they really need to revamp the trainings. Yeah. Um, they're putting the hand the training in the hands of people who um, are really not qualified to be doing to be doing it. Because you can become a a sapper trainer just off of going to like a couple of like classes and then now you're a victim advocate and it's people that either haven't experienced something like this Mm -hmm. don't know what to really say or do or so I think the training that they're they have the right idea by letting people know that you can't consent if you're under the influence you should not be if, if they think, if you think it's a no, then it's a no. Like the regular yeah. things that you hear, but it's still happening and it's still happening all the time. It happens all the time. Have you talked to other women that have been through this? Yes. Oh, more than I could. That's why I was saying, I was like, I'm going to tell this and there's going to be like a thousand people that are like, I could say this story identical mm-hmm. or know how it ends and it happens all, so much and nobody's reporting it. And if they are, they're restricted reporting it because they're afraid. They don't want people to know or they're ashamed. And that's why, like, even if I was like, if I came here anonymous, that would still play into me being ashamed and I'm not. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're not anonymous. Yeah, I'm not ashamed. I'm not in- I'm not embarrassed. I I was doing the what's your secret in the park yesterday and there was this girl and she talked about her abusive relationship that she just got out of and like really went into detail and it was this beautiful share and she was really like vulnerable and, and excited to talk about it. And then I got home and I had a DM from her being like, please delete that. Please don't post it. Like I this story shouldn't be out there. Yeah. And it just made me so sad for her. Because you're punishing yourself. Yeah. Of course, I deleted it. I'm not going to post it. But it's like. Yeah. And if I don't, you know, if I don't face it, mm-hmm. if I don't. Me calling it what it was, was like the biggest thing for me. Looking at it and being like, which came very, went many, many years later. Me and that friend that mm-hmm. is still my, you know, the one yeah. from the night. Yeah. She and I were talking about it and she goes, you need to call it what it is. You need to look at it what it is. This person came 
to you in one of the most vulnerable states that you could have been in and took an opportunity. And whether or not their heart is so pure and you learn them to be such a nice person and you guys are friends and da 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 da, they still violated you and never, never even tried to say that they were sorry, which is fucked and it shouldn't happen. And it happens too much. And, you know, people deserve, we deserve better than that. Men, women, children, all that. We deserve better than that. Do you find that therapy has been helpful in your healing? Yes. I swear by therapy. I like, since I retired, I haven't had, I'm, I'm getting a new therapist. I have mm-hmm. to like transferred over. So I've been without one for like three weeks and I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, but I swear by it. Even this, talking about it, like, this is why I kind of reached out to you because this is beyond knowing that, like, other people are going to see it and hear it is beyond anything that I've done. Mm -hmm. But this is, I feel like it's a way of just me kind of, like, taking it out, like, taking it out of my mind. Mm -hmm. I'm just so, so grateful that you chose to come on here and tell this here. And I agree with you, I think thousands I hope millions of people see this and are able to take a breath if they've experienced this and going holy shit I'm not the only one yeah um I didn't say this at all during it and because I feel like it's stupid sometimes to just say like I'm so sorry because like, when people say yeah with, with, but with my dad with Parkinson's or whatever when people are just like, I'm so sorry I'm like it fucking sucks like it just sucks yeah but um, you know what sometimes like that's the only thing you can say yeah. So in this case, truly, that's the only thing I can say, which is I am so sorry that this happened to you. And I appreciate me saying, it. Me saying that it's not your fault, I know, doesn't mean anything, but it was not your fault. Yeah, uh, and we, we need day. to get to a point in society where we can all really believe that. Believe that. And also, <laughs> men specifically don't do. Stop fucking touching people. Stop fucking, that's truthfully. Yeah, what? Just stop touching people. Just that's like my biggest thing. Yourself. Like, just. Or just touch people that are asking to be touched. Like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's such a simple concept. But what is your favorite restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's Sorry. Actually, the worst. I like. I thought about taking this part out <laughs> during. No, that, no, it's a but it's like cleanser. Yeah, it's like perfect. <laughs> Pete and Elda's in New Jersey. Okay. In Tenton Falls, it's thin crust pizza, and it's amazing. Okay. What, what kind of pizza do you get? Just plain. Plain, right Plain yeah. cheese girl, yeah. Yeah. And they have like these extra, extra large pizzas and slaps. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and follow the podcast wherever it is you listen to it so that we can bring you more unexpected stories by ordinary people. And if you don't like the episode, forget what I just said and just please don't tell anybody. Stop.